0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, on God Amen, we will continue our Bible study in Psalm 119. This Psalm actually, as I said before, it is the longest Psalm in the scripture. It is composed of 22 sections according to the Hebrew alphabet. Each section is composed of eight verses. And each verse in the section starts with the Hebrew alphabet of that section. For example, if section one is A, section two is B, section three is C, and so on. So every verse in section one will start with A. Every verse in section B starts with B, and so on. And each verse has a reference to the scripture. For example, verse 65, your word. 66, your commandments. 67, your word. 68, your statutes. 69, your precepts, and so on. Almost every single verse has a reference to the scripture. Today we'll study section 9 and section 10. We finished 8 sections. If each section has 8 verses, so how many verses we finished? 64. 8 by 8. 64. So today we'll start from... Verse 65. The ninth letter is Tef in the Hebrew alphabet, and the tenth letter is Yod or Jat. In the ninth section, every verse starts with Tef. This section is eight verses from verse 65 to verse 72 and the central theme of section 9 is affliction affliction is the central theme of this part of the psalm and the psalm proclaims the benefits of adversity and the goodness of God in allowing affliction it actually leads us to repentance so the psalmist sees harmony between the compassion of God and his chastisement. The psalmist's burden or affliction was to learn something from the affliction. And God, out of his great love to his children, turns the affliction by the wicked into edification of the souls of his children. So when the church is persecuted, God changes this into our edification. These verses reveal the source of affliction. And in verse 65, the purpose of affliction from 66 to 68, and some realities of affliction from 69 to 72. Then in the 10th section from verse 73, to 80 that is the Hebrew letter Yod or jat. each verse in section 10 starts with this letter so the (laughs) psalmist in section 10 is experiencing some persisting type of affliction so the affliction is continuous with him which he attributes to the hands of God God allowed this for his edification The psalmist is in deep sorrow, but looks to be delivered to this affliction, to be a blessing in his life. Facing some difficulties, raise questions concerning the justice of God. All of us, when we go through difficult time, we have some questions. Where is the justice of God? Where is his care for his children? Why does God allow for his children to pass through affliction? So the psalmist in section 10 presents himself and his life as a living answer to those questions. God allows this to happen for our blessing and our edification. He has been promised some great blessing by God, but he has not realized it full inner blessing or outward prosperity. Yet, he waits for God's word and for the fulfillment of God's promise. So he trusted in God. So although he did not realize the full inner blessing or the outward prosperity, but he is waiting for God to fulfill his promises. Section 9, the theme of it, the benefit of the time of affliction. Section 10, the theme of it, confidence in the Creator and His Word. We'll start by Section 9. Verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word so this section begins with a note of gratitude you have dealt well with your servant o lord according to your word so the psalmist finds himself thankful for god's good dealing toward him and that blessings that come according to the word of god according to his promises many may say that god has dealt well with them when they experience prosperity but the psalmist here wrote that God has dealt well with him but he was not thinking about prosperity he said this actually when he was suffering affliction he was confessing that even in his affliction God had dealt well with him like Job when he was afflicted he fell to the ground and worshipped, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But Job's wife, like many prosperity-minded people, could not understand Job's perspective, how he is praising God even in the time of Affliction, But Job understood that prosperity and affliction came by means of God's kind providence. If God allow prosperity, this is for our benefit. And if God allows affliction, this also for our benefit. He said, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word, according to your promises according to your word implies that the psalmist not only knew the promises of God by his intellect and asked it in prayer but he experienced them he received the promises the fulfillment of promises by faith and experienced them in his life verse 66 teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe your commandments Teach me good judgment and knowledge. Again, he begs for teaching. Many times in this psalm, he repeated the word, Teach me, teach me. When God afflicts his people or allow affliction in our life, God intends to teach us. So David is saying, Since God has dealt well with me, I am encouraged to pray for judgment, to appreciate the Lord's goodness. In order to see affliction as a blessing for God, I need to have good judgment. He said, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Belief comes from the heart. So his heart was right, I believe your commandments. Now he is hoping that his mind, his head would be made right. That's why he said, teach me good judgment and knowledge because in my heart I believed your commandments. He had faith. Therefore, he had hoped to receive wisdom. Faith in his heart, he needs wisdom in his mind. That's why he asked for good judgment and knowledge. According to the scholar origin, he said virtues like humility, chastity, self-satisfaction, contentment, these are the good judgment. These virtues are good judgment. And the mental virtues are the knowledge. So the scholar origin says he can have both the benefit of practical gifts like chastity like contentment and the mental ones the knowledge good judgment and knowledge according to the saying of king solomon in proverbs chapter 8 verse 10 receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold instruction is a good judgment knowledge is the mental virtue so he said, "Instruction are better than silver, and knowledge better than choice gold. David wanted God to teach him, because he really did believe the commands and the word of God. So if we really do believe his word, then we should want him to teach us to live wisely and obediently. Obediently is a good judgment. Wisely, this is the knowledge. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. He was like the prodigal son. He went astray. But the affliction restored him to God. But now I keep your word. So, before I was afflicted, I went astray. That's the benefit of affliction. But now I keep your word. So there was a time when the psalmist was more likely to go astray from God's word. And from the wise life revealed in the word of God. He went astray. In verse 67, he is speaking about lessons learned from the hard way, from the affliction. David recognized God's action and work in his life of affliction. God allowed affliction so David may repent and return back to God. I went astray. David could have been speaking of many times within his life when he went astray. But the key word here before I was afflicted. David acknowledges that. It was the discipline of God that brought him back. It was the affliction that brought him back. And it brought him back to a specific place. What is this place? To keep your word. That was the purpose. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. This verse 67 can be applied to Israel as a nation taught by the discipline of the exile or can be applied to individuals like David the psalmist in our life can be applied to all of us when God allows persecution or reflections or can be uh, yani applied to individuals unfortunately prosperity sometimes leads to iniquity because we feel we have everything It makes people proud of themselves, forgetful of God, love the world, and deaf to the correction of the word of God. But affliction often becomes so necessary when one goes astray, and it is so useful in reminding the person and returning him back to the ways of duty and of truth. Many times people, when they ask, how should I deal with my son who is abusing drugs? And the advice we give them, don't enable them. Let them reap what they are sowing. Because in this affliction, in reaping what they were sowing, this affliction will make them recover and return back to God. But if we try to deliver them from all, every problem they put themselves in it, then why they would repent? The children of God will always benefit sooner or later by affliction. Yes, during the time of discipline it's not fun, it's not good. It may not be at the time of affliction that we enjoy it as St. Paul said in Hebrew chapter 12 and verse 11 Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present but painful yes time of affliction is painful nevertheless afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it so the ultimate effect of affliction is in all cases to benefit the people and the psalmist here did not become bitter or resentful toward God for the affliction that brought him to a greater obedience. No, he was grateful. You have dealt well with me. He was grateful to God because of this affliction, because this affliction actually restored him to repentance. Verse 68, You are good, and do good. Teach me your statutes. So he's not resentful. He said to God, you are good, and what you are doing is good teach me your statutes. So he proclaimed, you are good. Even chastening is a proof of God's goodness. Like a parent, if he loves his son or daughter, they will discipline him. In fact, he even wanted more instruction from God saying, teach me your statutes. So the psalmist is asking God to teach him his statutes that he may sin no more. He pleads to be under the guidance and the influence of God's word. And according to St. Didymus the blind, the psalmist surely knows that God is good. Yet he is in need of God himself to guide him. Yes, I know you are good, but I want you to teach me To teach me your status and your judgment And let me understand the significance of your goodness And here the psalmist is not ashamed To continually seek from God to teach him As I told you, the word teach me Is repeated several times in this psalm Verse 69 The proud have forged a lie against me but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. So the son now explains the necessity of prudence, of wisdom. The iniquity of the proud has been multiplied. Proud sinners told him lies without end to try and to make him break God's law. The proud have forged a lie against me to make him break the law of God. But I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. This needs prudence. Therefore, prudence was necessary for him, through which I will keep your precept with my whole heart. Eve was deceived by the serpent. The serpent, like the proud, forged a lie to Eve. But because Eve was lacking prudence, she believed the serpent and she fell and she made her husband also fall. The lies of the proud did not distract David or overly discouraged him, but he determined to keep the precepts of God with his whole heart. So he dedicated himself to greater obedience an honor of God pledging to obey God with his whole heart verse 70, their heart the heart of the proud is as fat as grease but I delight in your law in the Septuagint, this verb <coughs> as fat as grease is curdled <coughs> like milk curdled like milk means hardened So those proud sinners have a heart who is hardened, like the cheese formed from curdled milk. Therefore, he dismissed them, and he delighted in the law of God. He was not delighted in the words of the proud, but he was delighted in the word of God. According to the Hebrew, their heart is as fat as grease means what they may seem prospered and have health and comfort but yet are insensible and incapable of receiving any spiritual understanding as fat so there is health prosperity but as grease their heart were dull insensitive and drowning in luxury and excess. In contrast, the psalmist found delight in the word of God. They found delight in luxury, but the psalmist found delight in the word of God. There is and always will be a clear contrast between the faithful people of God and the sinners who deny God. And that contrast is as much seen in the cares of the heart as in the actions of the life. The children of God, their heart is in heaven and their actions are godly according to the command of God. But the ungodly, their hearts after the world and the vanity of the world and their actions are ungodliness verse 71 it is good for me that I have been afflicted that I may learn your statutes so the theme he is repeating it again in verse 71 it is good for me that I have been afflicted because if I was not afflicted I would lost my way but this affliction made me learn your statutes So the psalmist repeats the idea from verse 67 for emphasis. Affliction brought under the wisdom and guidance of God's word did genuine good in his life. This affliction, according to God's word and according to the wisdom of God's word and God's guidance, actually brought goodness in the life of David. Affliction of any kind acts as a good discipline and is a school in leading the people of God to value the truth and and the promises of God. St. Augustine says, He seems to me to have signified that to know these is the same thing as to keep them. To keep them is the same thing as to know them. San augustine says to know the commandment of god is as equally as to keep them so if he says i keep them means he know them if he says i know them means i keep them this is verse 72 the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver so after he said I may learn your statutes, I keep your statutes, I know your statutes. He said, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. No one but one truly meek and humble of heart, and thus truly good, and who from experience could form an opinion of what is good and could give expression to such sentiment no one actually can say it is better for me that i have been afflicted except one who is humble in heart and he wants true relationship with god no one can say this it is better for me that i have been afflicted unless he is seeking the way of god from his whole heart that I may learn your statutes. This also shows how valuable the learning of God's word was to the psalmist and how this should be valuable to all of us to spend the time in learning the word of God. It is entirely worth it for him, for David, to endure affliction if only he could learn the statutes of God in the process. As if David say, if I need to go through affliction so that I learn your status, it's worth it. This made a time of painful affliction worthwhile. If he understands that even trouble can be good and if it teaches him the word of God, if it's more valuable than his comfort, then it is more valuable than the riches. So he's saying if the trouble will make me learn the word of God, and the word of God will bring this heavenly peace and goodness in me, then the word of God is more valuable than the riches of the world. That's why he said, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. This great value of the word of God came from a life that had known affliction. If David was not afflicted he wouldn't realize the value of the word of God. It was love and appreciation from the field of battle, not the palaces of ease and comfort. David committed adultery and murder when he was in the palace, but when he was running from King Saul in the wilderness, he lived a life of repentance. David was rich, and his riches increased over the time, and yet he did not set his heart upon the riches of the world, but upon the word of God. He said, your word is better than thousands of coin of gold and silver, because through the observance of the law of God, we acquire life everlasting. The gold and silver will never give us eternal life. No treasures can be compared with the eternal life. St. John chrises some wonders and say, Was St. Peter the apostle poor when he had no gold or silver to give to the lame man? When he told him, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Gold and silver wouldn't make this miracle but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was able to heal this person this finish section 9 or start from section 10 your hand have made me and fashioned me give me understanding that I may learn your commandments so this part of the psalm begins with the smallest Hebrew letter, the 10th letter is Jat. And if you remember in the Sermon of the Mountain, the Lord said, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till it's fulfilled. The word Jat here is the 10th letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And the Lord references in the Sermon on the Mount in the next 8 verses the psalmist gave many reasons for asking the grace to observe the law he asking God to grant him his, his grace to observe the law of God the first reason from the fact of his being one of God's creatures he said I am created by God you know when you buy any device from a factory. You need the manual, because the manual will explain to you how you operate this device properly. Who created us? Who is the factory? Here is God. And the manual is the word of God. So David is said, that's the first reason. Your hands have made me and fashioned me, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments." That's the manual. The fact of we are one of God's creatures, then we owe certain obligation to God because God fashioned us and made us by his hands. The psalmist knew that he was not the product of blind forces of nature, as the evolutionists are saying. He did not evolve into person he was, but he was fashioned by the very hands of God. And the repetition made me, fashioned me, you, you, your hands have made me and fashioned me. This repetition, according to some, may refer to the creation of the body and the soul. You have made me, that is the creation of the body. Then when God breathed the soul into Adam, that's fashioned me. But according to other this refers to the creation of man and then the rebirth in the baptism. So you made me, that's in our creation. You fashioned me in baptism. Every man is as truly the work of God's hand as the first man, Adam. All of us, we can say the same word, you have made me and fashioned me. Everyone is obligated to God as the one, as God is the one who gives us the life. He's our creator, knows what is best for us. The word fashioned me Not only recognizes God as his creator, but includes that it is God who is his sustainer. God did not only create us, but he sustains our life. Being thus entirely belonging to God and owing God the most profound obedience. That's why David is asking God, give me understanding. This is a plea for the ability to understand and discern the commandments of the Almighty God. Give me understanding to understand your commandments. It is one thing to know what's written in the scripture and another thing to discern the proper application of those commandments. Every day we make choices in our life how to apply what we learn from the scripture in our life this needs understanding from God so he asks for and expect help in understanding how God created him and what his obligation are to his maker, you are my maker you are my creator so give me understand this and my obligation toward you the evolutionists Unfortunately, you don't understand God's commandment and God's word. God made us and therefore God should not forsake and reject us. At the same time we should acknowledge the service that we owe God as our creator. God created us he will take care of us he will sustain us but we should acknowledge the service we owe to God. People hear the word of God through his servant, the servants of God. But the understanding is gift from God. We come to the church and we hear the word of God. But we need to pray to God to give me the understanding. St. Augustine said, Let us understand the hands of God When he said, your hands have made me. St. Augustine said, what are the hands of God? Because God doesn't have, his spirit doesn't have hands. And we know that God the Father created us by his Son. So St. Augustine said, the hands of God, his power and his wisdom. Both titles also were given to the Lord Jesus Christ which could be understood by the expression the arm of the Lord in Isaiah when the word arm of the Lord it refers to the Son our Lord Jesus Christ or let them understand the hands of God as the Son and the Holy Spirit because God the Father created the world by the Son but also by the Holy Spirit who was hovering on the water as we read In Genesis chapter 1. So St. Augustine said. The hands of God are the Son and the Holy Spirit. On account of that. The Holy Spirit works together. With the Son. Verse 74. Those who fear you. Will be glad. When they see me. Because I have hoped. In your word. That's another reason. Why he is asking God. To teach him. The commandment of God He said those who fear you Will be glad They were rejoiced When they see in David Example of the reward Of trustful patience David trusted in God He was obedient to the commandment Of God And God fulfilled his promises In the life of David So when we see David We will be glad so the psalmist considered that his righteous life would be an encouragement to others who fear God. That's why we read the Senexerium, because the Senexerium gives us courage to walk in the way of righteousness like the sins that we hear about them. So this another reason to hear and obey the word of God. David is saying. Why I should obey the word of God? Why I should ask for understanding? Because those who fear God will be glad because they shall see that David or us has hoped in your word and the promises contained in God's law when they see me because I have hoped in your word. So the comfort which some of God's children have in God. And the favors. The blessings they have received from God. Should be a matter of joy. To those who fear God. When we see how God bless. Those who fear him. And God comfort them. This will encourage us. To walk in the way of God. Also we can see here. A sign of true fellowship. When a member. Has comfort amid his suffering, in the middle of affliction, he is comforted by God. Those who fear the Lord will rejoice together with him and feel comfort. Many times when we visit people going through tragedy in their life, and then we, fee- we see how God comforted them, we will be joyful and comforted by seeing how God comforts his children. Whatever one of them enjoys is counted as a gift for all the children of God. If one is comforted, all the children of God will be comforted with him. According to St. Augustine, who are those who fear God? He said, the Church, the body of Christ. Those who fear, who fear you, this is the Church, the body of Christ. Verse 75. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. So here David is confessing in faithfulness you have afflicted me. I deserve it. Your judgments are right. I'm not saying why you did this to me. Because, yes, in faithfulness you have afflicted me. All God's law are in conformity with the perfect standard of his righteousness. That's why David said, your judgments are right. His attention upon God's word has has given the psalmist a wise ungodly perspective even in the season of suffering. Many of us when we suffer we question the judgment of God. We question his righteousness. Very rare among us to say you have been faithful in afflicting me very very few people who are seeing this but David can proclaim the righteousness of God's judgment even when he is afflicted this was the place Job eventually came to through his long and desperate struggle through the book of Job Job came to know that the judgment of the Lord were right and even understood God's faithfulness in affliction. This is the third reason to ask God the grace to observe the law because we know his judgment are righteous. David here is confessing his sins by saying, you have been faithful in my affliction so he confessed that god's judgment are essentially just he confesses that he deserved the affliction verse 67 let i pray your mercy your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word to your servant so therefore david does not complain of God's justice. He knows he deserved it. But he threw himself on God's mercy, saying, let I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to, to your word, your servant. I know I deserve affliction, but now I am pleading for your mercy. The psalmist prayed on a salt ground, asking on the basis of the promises made in God's word according to your word to your servant. You promised us, the word of God taught us that God will be merciful on the repentant sinner. With such promises, David is asking for merciful kindness. The promise from God's loving kindness will comfort him when nothing else will comfort him. That's why he told him, I pray your merciful kindness be for my comfort. According to your word, your servant. It is not only a word to mankind in general. David felt at the promises of God very specific to him as an individual. So it is not a general word to mankind or to the government people. He felt, he perceived it as something personal to the psalmist himself. That's why he said, according to your word, to your servant. The psalmist prayed with the understanding that God's tender mercies come to him through the word, the law of God, according to the promises of the word of God that's why he said in verse 77 let your tender mercies come to me that i may live for your law is my delight i am delighted in your law send your tender mercies that i may live otherwise i will die he prayed with the understanding that god's tender mercies came to him through the law of god by staying close to God's word and letting the word of God fill his life that's how he received God's tender mercies and he said with your tender mercies I will live it's evident that this was uttered in view of some great tribulation by which his life was threatened but because of your tender mercies I will live so the psalmist refers every comfort to the free, generous grace of God, not to his own merit or his strong will. He did not say I deserve your tender mercies. No, it's not based on my merit. What I deserve is the affliction, but your tender mercies because of your free, generous grace. Therefore, he feels indebted by his whole life to God's tender mercies by which he lives otherwise I would die and to the law of God or commandment of God in which he meditates and delight verse 78 let the proud the wicked be ashamed for they treated me wrongfully with falsehood they lied to me, him but I will meditate on your Precepts. Let the proud be ashamed, referring here to his enemies, who appear to have been in position of power and influence, those who prided themselves on their wealth. The proud ones had treated David wrongfully, with falsehood, they lied to him, therefore they should be put to shame. The psalmist asks here that they might fail of accomplishing their purposes in regard to him. When they fail to accomplish their purpose, that is how they will be ashamed. They were not honest. They spoke falsehood. They deceived him. They were not true to their friendship. They have been guilty of falsehood in their charges or accusation against him. David's prayer made Achitophel fail in his plans. Hezekiah's prayer meant failure to the Assyrian army. The fasting of Esther and the Jews brought failure to Haman. So God knows how to defend his own people who cry to him. Yet even the prayer that the proud be ashamed is a prayer for their good. Why for their good? When they are ashamed, it's an opportunity for them to return back to God. As we read in Psalm 83, verse 16, Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O Lord. In contrast to the proud who loved the lines, the psalmist loved and meditated on God's word. He said, but I will meditate on your precepts they meditated on lies but he meditated on the word of God the psalmist was determined that those evil actions by the proud should not take off his thoughts from the precepts of God or divert him from his duty to his God none of these things moved him he still went on his way of God in his worship and service, as Daniel did when Daniel was in similar circumstances. He was focusing on meditating on God's word, not on retaliation or revenge. Sometimes when the wicked make plans against us, we think about retaliation or revenge. But David, how he handled this, meditating on the word of God. Verse 79, after he spoke about the proud, the wicked, he said in verse 79, Let those who fear you turn to me, come back to me. Those who know your testimonies. The psalmist recognized that the presence of proud enemies, but he did not believe that all people were against himself or against God because there were others who feared God and he could find companionship with them that's why he wanted his experience of God's mercy show the Godly the blessedness of keeping God's testimonies he wanted to share with those who fear God the blessedness of God's testimony that's why he said let them return back to me that they may see your ble- the blessedness and the grace that you gave me and be comforted and rejoice with me. They had much in common. They both were those who knew God's word, those who know your testimonies. He associating the fear of God with knowing him. Those who fear you, those who know your testimonies. So you cannot say, I fear God without knowing the word of God and applying the word of God in your life and as the believer finds trouble from the world and from the proud he prays that he might find help from the people of God but some commentators think that verse 79 refers to the affair of Pichalba when David committed adultery and murder those who feared the God chose not to keep company with David because of his sin, because he brought dishonor to God and to his name by his sin. And this grieved David to see the godly people are disconnected from him. That's why he desires of all things that they would turn to him again. St. Augustine said this verse actually applies about Christ, let those who fear you turn to me, those who know your testimonies. As if Christ is saying, those who repent and fear you return back to me. St. Augustine says, because Christ was made sharer in our mortal state by his incarnation, that we might also become partakers in his divine nature. Jesus It is unto whom that they who fear God turn. So when we fear God, we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And who know the testimony of God, they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. So as the psalmist compared himself with the proud who spoke lies, he still recognized his need for greater obedience to God. That's why in verse 80, the proud actually they meditated on falsehood. But David wants a deeper obedience to God. That's why in verse 80, which is the last verse in our Bible study tonight, he said, Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes, that I may not be ashamed. The proud are ashamed, but he said. I don't want to be ashamed like the proud, so let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes. So he asked God and depended on God for an obedient, blameless heart and life. He wants to have obedient, blameless heart and life. The New Testament has many examples of hearts that were not blameless like Judas, Ananias, Sapphira, Alexander, Demas such examples should make us pray according to Psalm 139 search me O Lord and know my heart see if there is a wicked way and give me a way everlasting that I may not be ashamed so this is a valid desire he doesn't want to be ashamed the psalmist wanted a life left unashamed, that de- the desire was for a sense of no inward shame, but he was right with God and had no public shame in the eyes of others. He doesn't want to be ashamed inwardly or outwardly. His obedient life, let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes. So this obedient life leads to this unashamed life. When you obey the word of God you will not be ashamed, neither inwardly or outwardly. The Psalms ask God for a perfect and complete heart that's fully focused on the statutes of God so that this shame will be forever avoided. He will never be ashamed so here he closes as he began with a petition of prayer let my heart be blameless regarding your status that i may not be ashamed he reminds himself of how intimately connected is the heart and the life when he is obedient in his heart the life will be not ashamed who he is on the inside, and how he lives on the outside. They are connected. If my heart is blameless and complete in its obedience, then my life will be without shame. As we read in Proverbs 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issue of life. And Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, tells us the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's why it's a beautiful prayer when we say to God, Let my heart be blameless regarding your statutes. The psalmist knew well this truth that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's why he said, let my heart be blameless regarding your statues, that I may not be ashamed. The psalmist knows he needs the Lord and the word of God if he is to have a pure heart and to live a life without blame or shame. This concludes Bible study for tonight. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.